So many owners open their shops with the dream of doing auto repair the right way, being an asset to their community, having free time with their families, and having the ability to create a financial legacy. In reality, so many find themselves working long days, are struggling to find and keep good staff, and can barely pay the bills. Since 2016, the fastest growing automotive repair coaching company, ShopFix Academy's sole purpose is to stop the average small business from destroying the average family. Call 615-645-3683 to speak to someone on their leadership team about seeing if ShopFix Academy is a good fit for your shop. Learn more at shopfixacademy.com. I think first and foremost, you have to be open to relationship with people. You have to be doing the work to get to know the people that you work with or work for you. This is Success Leaves Clues, an automotive industry podcast, and I'm your host, Thomas Hayes. Our shops are filled with cars, lifts, tools, fluids, desks, and a whole bunch of other stuff. But... They are built on the relationships of our team. What I feel many of us don't truly recognize is just how important these relationships are. Or perhaps we struggle to foster and maintain these relationships with our team without it feeling forced or being fake. In this episode, I'll discuss this with my guest and 23-year industry veteran, Mike Wandry. Harnessing the power of relationships is Mike's superpower. You're going to love his story because along each milestone, he recognized and learned the secrets to having healthy, balanced, mutually beneficial, and strategic relationships. And by the end of this episode, you'll learn those clues that you can use to do the same in your shop. So stick around. Here's our conversation. Mike, how's it going? An effective online presence is a critical part of your shop's growth and profitability, which is why it only makes sense to use the company that many top-performing repair shops use for managing their online presence, Leads Near Me. Leads Near Me effortlessly increases your car count with a strategic combination of killer websites, high-converting Google ads, traffic-driving social media posts, and more. Reach them by text or call at 888-953-2379 or visit them online at leadsnearme.com. Leads Near Me, effortlessly increase car count. Good. How are you, Thomas? Doing great. Happy to have you on the show. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Uh, So, Mike, I know quite a bit about your career, but for those that don't know you, tell us a little bit about how you got into the industry. Yeah. So, I got in the industry because of a great family friend who offered me a summer job. So right out of high school, I was excited to get into the workforce. Um, hadn't really thought about what I was going to do for college. And I wasn't a great student anyway, so didn't have a big plan to be going to some prestigious four-year university or putting a bunch of money into school. But I knew I wanted to work. I'd already had a few jobs up to that point. So uh, it was very natural for me just to go right into the workforce right out of high school. And uh, my good friend, family friend, Jim, he had a body shop in Southern California, and he needed a parts guy. And I knew that uh, I knew computers, I knew how to organize, and I had 
general working knowledge of cars and um, but I wasn't a car guy by any means but I did need a job and he was offering a pretty good pay um, and I liked Jim a lot and he was a great guy always bought me lunches and in our family, he always had the coolest house and the coolest cars. So definitely was excited to work for him. Um, but yeah, I got to go work for James Allen Collision in Southern California uh, as a parts guy and did that for a good year, year and a half. Um, started out as a parts guy, went to be an estimator, uh, learned everything in the back end of the shop, helped with some of the technicians, the painters. Um, by the time I was done working with Jim, I was pretty much managing and partnering with him wow. in, the, in the body shop. Um, so yeah, it was a great first foray into the uh, automotive industry. How long did that take you? It was within six to eight months. It was really just at the speed that I was able to learn and comprehend. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was running a small business. He was an independent operator and he was a hands-on owner. He was writing 50 to 60% of the sales. Mm-hmm. Estimating to him was, was critical. It was super important. He knew that that was the lifeblood of the business. So he handled a lot of the writing. And so I learned from him on how to write really accurate estimates that were profitable we're good for the technicians, good for the business. Um, so I felt very lucky to be able to learn from somebody that was had a lot of stake in it. That's great, man. It sounds like he was a really key influence for you. Yeah, absolutely. I enjoyed his um, partnership in the sense that he was a friend first, a family friend first that you know really liked me as a kid and our families would hang out. So there was always that connection. Uh, but once I got to work with him on the business side of things, I just saw how razor-focused he was and how intense he was about his business and also just the ability that he had to compartmentalize all the different things he had to do. So that was my school of hard knocks. That was my education that I needed to get me to where I am today. What happened next? So part of the good and bad of working for an owner-operator um, is at some point you meaning me, wanted to start making more money and starting to get out on my own and also wanted to have a bigger piece of the pie, just knowing, because I saw everything that was going on in the business, what could be had from the, from the net standpoint. And I also was getting married. So it was at that point where I needed to really jumpstart my career to feel like, okay, I need to go buy a house. I need to take care of my new wife. I need to, and I want her to work her whole life either. But uh, I really started to realize that I need benefits and working for an independent operator, I just didn't see that that was possible. And even though Jim was a great um, mentor and a great owner, I just didn't see the room for me to be able to get to where I wanted to go financially, but also um, for my career, knowing that operating out of one shop, that there was such a greater, bigger world. Um, the other factor with him was it was just kind of a drive from where I lived. So some of that was a factor, but not the biggest. Uh, so I took a, an opportunity to respond to an ad that was through Caliber Collision, who at the time was a, a very small multi-shop operator out of Irvine in Southern California and in Texas. At that time, they had less than 20 shops, and they were had it uh, blasted in the papers, and they had blasted in, um, back then we actually looked at newspapers to look for jobs. <laughs> um, so they had a... Um, posting for service advisors slash estimators starting pay $5,000 a month. And it was right there. And which, you know, side note for everybody who's looking for uh, people right now, which we know is a big need in the industry, is it caught my attention because they weren't afraid to put exactly what they were going to pay you in the ad. 
Um, and it was a number that was very attractive to me because it was more than I was making uh, with Jim. And I knew that I had the estimating skills. He taught them to me. He'd you know, given them to me, and I obviously took the ball and ran with it. But he wasn't able to pay me that way because, again, small independent operator, um, in hindsight, could he have paid it to me? Probably. But was he also doing a lot of other things on his own that he wanted to keep money more for himself? Again, love the man, but that was kind of the, the perspective I had at the time. Yeah. So took the job at Caliber, took the $5,000 a month, and took a step into a bigger world, a multi-shop world where you know, you're working for more of a corporate entity, multiple shops, um, more insurance um, involvement. So we had a lot of insurance contracts. And really just stepped into a bigger world and started to learn more of the structure and more of the uh, way that shops operate when they have multiple shops. Um, so much more structure in the sense of certain positions do certain things. And it's not just everybody does whatever they need to do to get the job done. There yeah. were titles. There were uh, job duties. There were fancy employee handbooks and you know things that really gave the business um, the validity that it had to make me walk in and go, I can have a career here mm -hmm. and there's a real trajectory for me to not just be an estimator, but be a manager, um, potentially partner with somebody to own a body shop. And then eventually, uh, as my journey would take it to, you know, be a multi-shop uh, executive, you know, doing acquisitions and uh, finding stores and working at a corporate level on big things um, with billions of dollars of revenue at hand. So, you know, it, it's interesting, you know, hearing, your story like this, you started out with, you know, very small independent operation, you know, sounds like didn't have good systems and processes. It was kind of just, you know, you and him in the trenches and you guys were figuring stuff out. Uh, and then you, you, you know, eventually moved to Caliber where, you know, everything was, was dialed in and, you know, you had tight processes and systems and it made you feel more confident in the organization, not to mention the pay was better. You know, what's in the back of my head is I'm wondering, is there anything that Jim could have done to retain you at that point. You know, let's put the drive aside, you know, um, and, and you said he could have paid you more, but if he had, you know, started to build in processes and systems and, and really professionalize the, the shop, would that have saved you? Possibly. I think going into what Jim was going in at that time and then not specifically anything that he had choose over another, like choose me and pay me more than mm -hmm. somebody else, or even decide not to, you know, go buy this car, build this part of his house because he wants to grow his business. But that was a reality. As an owner operator, he was having to make decisions where he needed that net, he needed that money to further the things that he was doing in his life. And at the time, I think he was building a house. Um, you know, had some nice cars, had kids in private school. There was a lot of things that he, he had a, obviously a heavy bankroll mm -hmm. of costs on his end. And so when I look back on it in hindsight, um, as at one point getting to a point where I was obviously in that owner position, you do start to really tie together personal expense, personal wants, things you want to do for your family uh, to grow your own personal kind of wealth uh, bigger houses, cars, things like that. And how do I effectively grow the business and not just grow the business bottom line and revenue side, but also the people within the business. Mm -hmm. And you have to sometimes choose. And I know now that 
you know, if you're focused on growing a business, you have to grow the people, you have to take chances on people, you have to obviously pay them in a competitive way, especially when you have bigger shops and bigger competitors out there offering, you know, better pay, you have to be more astute to that. Um, so at that time, I just think he was very tunnel vision focused on his own kind of bottom line and his own personal needs within his own family and his own um, growth, which is, again, 100% his choice, and mm-hmm. he deserved that and earned that. Um, but the ability to grow the business, which ironically later on, when he did add a second location, he, he still struggled with that because he was still running it very similar to the way he ran the first one, where he was having to write so many of the estimates and kind yeah. of going through a little bit of a revolving door of advisors and uh, people in the office. So I think the the overall way he approached the business, um, again, something great for me to learn from, was take care of the people. You take care of the people, they're going to take care of you. Yeah. It has to be this you know, back and forth give and take where they have to know and feel that you as an owner have their best interests at heart, that you care about them, um, that you want to see them succeed. And then it's not just about um, them, you know, the owner growing and being rich and being able to have this fancy, awesome life. It's about bringing the people that helped you get there along too. Mm-hmm. And even if it's not to the most of the of most of what those people would want, they still have to feel and think that, you know what, I'm not getting left behind to where I have to go find something else. Yeah. So the great thing about Caliber at that time, um, for me, I thought it was great. Other people didn't think it was great, especially if you're a regional manager, somebody who's in charge of building shops and hoping that they can succeed and be self-sustaining was I got to have a lot of managers in my first couple of years at Caliber. In fact, one of the stores I was at, in one year alone, I had four different managers. And wow. Yeah, so. Were they just churning out or what happened? It was, some of it was self-inflicted. Like, they just weren't the right guys for that particular shop. Um, some One guy had a personal health issue. Uh, somebody else was, you know, definitely not the right fit for, this, for the store. It was too big and just couldn't wrangle it, put their arms around it. The third manager I had actually ended up being... Uh, one of the great leaders and great mentors in my life is named Steve. Steve, um, again, in Southern California, he came in. He is the most positive, most happy, most energetic, most enthusiastic, and best salesman I've ever worked for and really have ever known. Um, and I started to learn about sales and learn about how to get people to buy in, whether it's buying on your product, buying on your service, Buy, on, buy in on you as a person to yeah. have a relationship with. He taught me that the power of positivity and the power of engaging people and meeting them right where they are and being being overly exuberant to show them that you care about them and that you want to know more about them and that you're just there not for your own gain, not for something you want selfishly, um, but it's genuinely making them feel like I'm here for you. And I want to know you better. And I want to help you. Um, and I want you as my customer. And I want you as my employee. And then not letting it go. And every day coming with that same energy, coming with that same enthusiasm, that same positivity. Um, and even when times are tough, and things aren't going great. He never lost it. He never lost that edge. Even when the shop's on fire and there's technicians walking out and paint every car we're painting is coming out the wrong color and there's customers yelling up front. I'd see Steve get out of his car with his morning coffee smile on his face, hand on his pocket as he'd walk through the parking lot, shaking every single person's hand that worked there and saying, good morning to you. How are you? How was your night? Did you have a great night? And literally there could be 
the shop in flames in the background. <laughs> and he just never lost that, um, that energy and that approach to the people. And when we developed a relationship and he started to see kind of my ability as an advisor, my ability to stay on that same level of positivity and that same level of how to treat people, we instantly connected and had a bond. Um, and he taught me a lot, taught me a lot about the right way to approach um, people in business from a mental, emotional balance, um, how to read people and how to understand how do you get to know people to the point where immediately you know what's going to motivate them. You immediately know what's going to affect them on an emotional or a mental level so that you can bring the best out of them. Yeah. And then in turn, they're going to obviously give you their best. As I became a manager and eventually partnered with him down the road to have our own shop together, um, and then full circle was he ended up working for me at Caliber as a regional manager when I was a director of operations. Wow. This connection I had with him and never changed. Like he always had that same happy approach, took that approach with every customer, with every teammate, with every employee, with every person we ever worked with, even the saltiest insurance guy that everybody wanted to punch in the face every time he walked in the door. Steve was super engaged with this guy and caring about him a ton and um, made him feel like, hey, you have a place here, even though we know you're here to do us harm and not always on the same page. <laughs> like, I don't care, man. Let's talk about you. I heard you love golf. Let's go golfing sometime. You know, he just wasn't afraid yeah. to engage with people regardless of what their background was, where they came from, um, or even what they were there to do, even if it was to do harm. Yeah. Um, and so I just, I took that on and I really embodied that um, and made it my own as well. Was it an act or is it something that you and he really were able to kind of transform into? It was genuine. He was a absolutely genuine guy. Yeah. There was no act. Um, if there was, it was the greatest <laughs> magician's act or acting job I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, there were a handful of times where I would see him get you know, very intense and uh, be able to have confrontation with me or with any uh, anybody else. The thing about it was he was able to potentially break you down if that's what was needed because at that time, maybe you need to be broken down. Maybe you need to be talked to very directly about something you were doing wrong or something that um, a mistake you made or something stupid you did. And so he would definitely get you straight in the eyes and tell you exactly, hey, this is what you did and this is what you did wrong. And this is how, you're gonna, how you negatively affected the business and be able to have that intensity and then very quickly turn it around to, but I need you here. You're an important part of our business and I love seeing you every day. I love what you bring to the, to the job. I love you, what you bring to the company. What you did, that can't happen anymore. It can't happen again. I need... And he'd go on to say all the positive things that that individual or me at the time would bring to the business and how those need to always be what we focus on, how we cultivate. And one of the things that a phrase that we came up with was with, with anybody new or anybody we, that was part of our business is we have to figure out your strengths and your weaknesses. We're going to minimize those weaknesses and maximize the strengths. And as long as everybody's on the same page that we all kind of know each other's strengths and weaknesses and we know how we can help minimize the weaknesses and maximize the strengths, especially when it comes to how it's going to affect the business and how it's going to affect the people within the business. Um, so, again, I, I genuinely, the way I've approached leadership and managing my own stores and having my own people is that 
you're going to get a direct response or feedback from me about your performance or about how you're doing. That's how I'd want to receive it. Mm -hmm. But we will never leave a conversation. We will never leave a situation that we're talking about um, without a handshake or a hug or a positive thing to say that's you know, hopefully building you up to be able to move forward because most people, uh, me especially, don't take negative beat down feedback mm -hmm. and then are left, you know, in a crumbled mess and then can turn around and go, all right, I'm excited to go back to work and do a great job. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't go well. No. Yeah. And it's very similar with our kids, right? Our kids, right. our wives, the way we are in relationship with people, tearing down you know, calling people out for their stuff, which sometimes is necessary because people need to know directly what's they're not doing right or what they messed up. Um, but we should all be responsible to make sure that, yeah, you can tear somebody down, but you better be able to build them up and bring them back. Yeah. Um, because that's genuinely what, if you care about that person, you care about the relationship, um, that's your responsibility. Yeah. Did you know that some web design companies use the same wording across all their client sites? Unfortunately, this common practice is noted by Google as plagiarism, which will cause your site to be ranked lower. That's why it's critical that whoever makes your shop's website knows better. That's why so many top shops trust Leads Near Me to create and manage their shop's websites. As Google certified partners, they know how to make a top ranking website from an insider's perspective. Get a free site analysis by visiting leadsnearme.com or calling 888-953-2379. Leads Near Me, effortlessly increase car count. It sounds like that, that mindset has been a massive clue to your success. That ability to you know, be able to equally you know, drive the positive while being honest, mm -hmm. you know, and it being something that's genuine from your heart. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In fact, one of the other big aspects of my career was when Steve and I worked together, we had a shop, a couple shops down in Costa Mesa area. Um, he was partners with some other people. And the one I worked at, you know, for him as a manager and obviously being a part of the stakeholder in that operation was, uh, I was a small, back in a small independent operating mode. I'd left Caliber shortly to go with Steve. So I left this big corporate wow. job to go work with Steve because he, he left Caliber too. And we were, we were both going to partner together and do the shop together. And I was going to follow this guy to the end of the earth, regardless of him not having a corporation or having some big backing like Caliber. Um, so when we got in that environment, you know, things obviously were were tough at the time for independent operators. You know, the time of year was, I think it was early, late 2000s, early 2010s. So business was okay, but it wasn't mm -hmm. just crushing it. Um, but anyway, again, had a great experience with him, learned a ton, um, so much more about the business. At some point, I had to leave um, and he needed me to leave because of some other things that that are not super important to the story. But I got the opportunity to go back to Caliber, and in order to do so, I had to take a step back. I couldn't be a manager anymore. I couldn't be on a level of operating the entire facility that I had just been doing with Steve and even with Caliber prior to that for a couple of years. The only job available to me at Caliber was being an estimator again. And so that was uh, you know, definitely a tough thing to swallow because… Yeah. When you're a manager, you have a company car, you got a salary, you kind of have the schedule you can work with, you get to work directly with owners. You know, in some cases, I was, you know, obviously had a part partnership in the business, was getting percentages, things like that. To 
you want to come back to Caliber? Great. We'd love to have you, but you're going to be an estimator again. And it was, it was a crazy time for me because I was personally going through doing some stuff with a remodel on a house. We were having our second kid. And I just kept thinking like, I need this job. I want to do this. I need to get back with Caliber. Um, that's the future for me. And if I got to be an estimator to do it, I'm betting on myself. I believe in myself. I know I can be an estimator and within months, if not weeks, get the opportunity to manage again and do great at it. And so it was just this trust in my own abilities and trust in the relationships I'd built up to that point with caliber people and and outside to step right into that and, and be like, you know, I'm going to do that. And of course, it was the shop that was furthest from my house <laughs> in Orange <laughs> County in San Juan Capistrano. Um, but there, uh, I met Brandon, who was the manager, and he he taught me a ton about efficiencies and cycle time and how to be consistent every day with meetings. Um, him and I did not get along great. Uh, in fact, throughout our whole careers, we've, we've never super been friendly together, really got along that great. But he's one of the greatest teachers I've ever had. And he, as he moved up in the company, I was able to move up as well to the point where we were both VPs in the company, um, operating, you know, dozens and dozens of stores together. But again, somebody that I had to um, connect with that I would have never thought that I would have connected with, even very at the beginning when I when I knew him and we never really crossed paths. It's funny how things work out. And taking the step back, being an estimator, working for Brandon, ended up propelling my career. Uh, with Caliber to the point where it did as a to be a VP. Um, but learning from him, who was a very different style than Steve, he was, again, much more introverted with his personality. But again, incredibly efficient, focused on cycle time, focused on process, um, had a very disciplined and determined way to run his shop every day, um, was rough on people. Um, but that's, again, sometimes that's just how we're wired. Some people just aren't relational that way. Um, he got much better as time went on, but um, I was able to learn a lot from him. And because of that opportunity to take a step back, be an estimator and work for Brandon, it, it propelled me forward beyond um, and faster than I would have. I would have just stayed managing and partnering with Steve in those smaller stores. Um, so it was definitely a, a chance I took, but I, I, I couldn't have predicted it where it was going to go. So. So you, you've had these critical mentors throughout your career and, you know, looking back, you know, you, in the moment, I think it's very hard to, to realize, oh, this person's going to be pivotal in my life. You know, and sometimes it happens, but I, I in my experience, it's kind of rare. How, you know, looking back, what would be some things that you would tell someone listening on how to recognize those moments and know when to, you know, really pay attention to someone in your life? Well, I think first and foremost, you have to be open to relationship with people. You have to be doing the work to get to know the people that you either work with or work for you. The tendency, I think, in a business environment is that it's so focused on immediately kind of the X's and O's of the business and how do we operate and pr follow process and make money and you know service our customers. That's always so much about what drives um, drives us and what's obviously what's mostly makes the business successful. The second that you forget about the 
the relationships and the people within your business, your employees, um, especially key stakeholders within the business that are in front of your customers that are making critical decisions. If you don't engage with them on a daily basis, if you don't connect to them and make them feel a part of the business, if they don't feel like they're connected to you as a person, maybe even to the friendship level, um, which sometimes is hard to do when you're a boss is to make friends with the people that work for you. But it doesn't necessarily have to be, hey, I'm your buddy. I'm going to take you to my house every weekend. We're going to hang out and watch football together. It's more of that perception of, is there a trust? Is there a connection there? Uh, that's where we've gone from just being acquaintances to saying hi and bye to each other every day. Hey, thanks. Here's your check at the end of the week. Appreciate what you're doing too. More of that friendship to the point where there's a trusting relationship where each person knows that the other has their best interest at heart for the business. How do you practically build that? So I think it's that openness. It's that intentionality of communication day in and day out where it's not just here's the list of things I need you to do. Let me know when they're done and I'll check back with you whatever, whenever that is. It's sitting down with a cup of coffee and saying, hey, how's your family? You know, how are the kids? Um, everything going great? If Who knows what's going on in their life at that point? But if the owner and the manager or the leader is able to engage their team in finding out genuinely how their people are doing, and it's not just how are you doing with that report. How are you doing with Mrs. Jones? How are you doing with that, you know, big job we have in the shop right now? And it's not always about the work, but it's about the person and taking the steps every day to genuinely connect to people that way outside of the day-to-day business. And then them building that trust with you, building that comfortability with you as the owner operator to be able to say, I'm okay sitting in this space and just talking to my boss. Mm Mm-hmm going to lunch together, maybe going to happy hour together, you know, when it's time to really buckle down and start doing the work and get serious, there's that new connection, emotional connection, you know, mental connection that says, I'm not here just to do a job because I'm getting paid to do it, which is really just compliance. It's Mm -hmm. now turned into, I'm committed to the business committed to this owner. I'm committed to the vision and purpose of what we're doing. It matters to me because of, there's a human attached to it, a human being who's putting you know, a lot of money on the line. They're putting a lot of their own personal time and their own connections that they have with the people in the business. And I want what's best for them because I see that they genuinely care about me and genuinely care about the direction that I'm going, either within this business or outside of it. Um, but it takes, it takes work. It can't just happen in snap of fingers. It can't just happen after one conversation. And I've seen that with managers and owners who want to act or play in that space of, I'm going to connect to my people. Mm-hmm. But it's not genuine because it's, again, something they're looking at as a to check off on a list. Did I talk to Joe today? Okay, cool. I said hi to him. Check. It's the heart. Yeah. And then a week later, oh. Got to make sure I go say hi to Joe today, <laughs> you know, and there's a robotic nature and a very automated nature to that. And that's not at all what it can be. It has to be genuine engagement with people um, to connect on a, a human emotional level um, to where, they, again, they feel that you genuinely want to be in a relationship with them and you're not just a means to an end to help them grow their business. Yeah, that's huge. Mm-hmm. 
So on that train of thought, um, is there a point where that connection can become too familiar? Like what, what would be some guidelines or boundaries? Like, you know, you wouldn't want to go get drunk with your employees. Mm. What are some, some kind of on the other end of that spectrum, some things that you would say, Hey, try to avoid this in the pursuit of building that genuine connection. That's a great question. And I've thought about that a lot in the sense of um, drawing that line in the sand. This is kind of how I visualize it to where it says at some point there still has to be that employee, you know, company or employee boss kind of uh, almost like a rules of engagement. Hmm. And you have to have that in the back of your mind. I mean, it's it, very obvious if you're a male, you know, manager or owner, there are certain things that with females in your business, you just know I can't cross that line. You know, I'm not going to be alone with them in a room. I'm not going to go to lunch by that by ourselves. I mean, there's just going to be this, um, the best thing I could always, and this goes back to, you know, very early on, my mom teaching me is you want to always be above reproach in everything that you do. And if you're an owner operator or manager and you're really trying to engage with your people and connect with your people, you have to always kind of repeat in your head and ask yourself, well, one, if this is brought up in a court of law, where am I going to stand on one end of it? And then the other would be, you know, if again, uh, my wife was here, if my husband was here, depending on, you know, if you're female and they saw how I was acting and they saw what I was doing. Would they be uncomfortable with it? Would they tell me that it's wrong? Would they kind of correct me in that? Um, or if you're a younger person and it's your mother, father, if they were there in the room and saw the, the way you were interacting with people, would they be proud of you? Um, you know, it's that very reactionary sense of the action has a consequence or it has, you know, some fallout or has obviously certain people are going to look at that and say, I, w- I wouldn't have done that. Or I wouldn't have said that or I wouldn't have gone that route um the ability to have discernment mm-hmm. is such a key component to leadership and management some people don't have it from either early on in their life they didn't get taught that as a kid the way they're wired they don't have good discernment and I, it's hard for me to think that people who don't have good discernment and good common sense can really be great effective leaders i think you can learn it over time and people can help pour into you how to have it but initially, if you don't have that d- gift of discernment or that a gift of common sense, it's going to be rough sledding um, with, with engaging with people in the right way. And I've seen time and time again, super talented people that were great operators, um, could cycle a car through a shop faster than anything I've ever seen, um, were super good with engaging with the team, having great meetings, um, talking to people in a very direct way, getting great performance out of them, yet they would go out and drink on the weekends and get drunk in front of their team. You know, they would engage in activity with employees that wasn't right. And in their mind, it was, it was, this is how I have a relationship with people, but it was also very detrimental to the business. And it also affected other people, how they witnessed those relationships and witnessed that leader. And for, for those people who didn't have that connection to that leader, it deteriorated the entire up, operation because they figure, well, look at this guy. He's, you know, this kind of leader I want to follow. He's going out getting drunk with the other estimators and he's, you know, yelling at people in the back of the shop and 
that's just not for me how I want to be involved in an operation. Um, so it's, I think it just again comes down to that good discernment, good common sense, um, and having strong people around you that can also help watch your blind spots, can help you know almost be a wingman for you in those situations. I remember a number of times, you know, me as manager, I would take out the team for a happy hour, take them out for a dinner. I always had somebody with me that I felt was like my wingman who is who is helping me to hey, you know, come in right away and interject and if they knew the conversation was going in a weird way or if you know, I wasn't a big drinker so it wasn't like I needed anybody to smack the beer out of my hands, but it was somebody that was there to help me maintain the position I had, which was super important to the business and not step into something a landmine or step into a situation that was going to be detrimental to you know, ultimately what our big goal was, was to help all of these families mm-hmm. support each other and grow the business and not let one or two little conversations or little things happen that we're going to derail that. Mike, I love your story. There, there's so many lessons and clues, both on, you know, being from the employee and then also that apply to owners. I, I'm really grateful for your time today. This has been fantastic. Yeah. Thanks, Thomas. That was my conversation with Mike Wandry. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. And I'd be honored if you share this podcast with a fellow member of the industry. And finally, if you've got a great story to share and wish to be a guest on the show, please email me at thomas at slcautopodcast.com or call 615-656-8804. Thanks. Have a great week. No two shops are the same. That's why cookie cutter advice and coaching does not work. In order for your shop to get to the next level, you must have an action plan designed around your shop's unique needs. You'll also need accountability and encouragement along the way. Let ShopFix Academy help you create your best shop. Call 615-645-3683 to speak to someone on their leadership team about seeing if ShopFix Academy is a good fit for your shop. Learn more at shopfixacademy.com.